Well, this morning, I want to speak about the sufficiency of God's grace. I don't know whether it's been your experience, but around Christmas time, we have received letters from various people giving us a, a lowdown as to what's taken place in the year and all the things that they've done, etc. And we had particular letters some years ago from a family who would recount all the things that they've done in the year, all their successes, all their triumphs, all the exams they've passed, all the wonderful holidays they've taken, um, they've been involved in. And uh, at that time, we were teaching about the text we're going to draw us into this morning, when Paul is talking about boasting in his weakness. So our girls, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, for those who don't know, there's three of them, uh, they started to think about, should we send out uh, an update of all our weaknesses where we failed our driving test, the exams we didn't pass, the holidays we didn't have, um, when the car broke down, or whatever. Now, we didn't do it. We didn't send it. But um, you might have had that, that experience where you've, you've had people send, send, you, send you letters giving all the details of the wonderful successes of life. And the text I'm referring to that we were teaching at that time is found in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying here, But God said to him, this is not Paul writing, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The background to the church in Corinth was that they were getting into spiritual elitism, boasting in their spiritual experiences, how spiritual they were. And those Paul called the super apostles were boasting about who they were, what they had done, and where they had been. They were glorying in their spiritual experiences. And Paul wanted to address this and tell them that God displays his glory and sanctifies us through suffering and pain, trials and difficulties. It's interesting in this one chapter, chapter 12, Paul refers to two extremes of his Christian experience. He writes of his heavenly revelations and the thorn in his flesh. Both these experiences, although extreme, one up high, one perhaps down low, could cause for different reasons him to stumble in his faith. And Paul doesn't want to boast in his experience when he talks about this, this heavenly revelation. So he, he talks in the third person because he doesn't want them to think more highly of him than they ought. And the thorn in his flesh was so painful that it could have crushed him. But instead his desire was to teach his readers what he had learned. Paul knew that God was using his experience to establish a gospel paradigm that is contrary to the thinking of the world. Which he sums up in verse for when I am weak, then I am strong. So the world will tell us we need to hide your weaknesses. Don't, don't put on your weaknesses on display. Don't be vulnerable to one another. Don't tell people about the things that you're weak in. Tell them about your strengths. Tell them about the things that you, you do really well. 
I wonder if you or I had an experience like Paul when, when we really shouted from the rooftops. Would we be going around saying, you know, I had this amazing experience called up into the third heaven. I want you to know about this. Go around churches testifying. I better still write a book. Make some money as a result. Gain notoriety. This was the sort of thing that was happening in Corinth. I heard someone say years ago that there are many Christians who are prostituting their experience in God. They have an experience in God and they sell it. They, they write a book about it. This was not Paul. Just look at what gets shared on social media. People sharing their successes, their experiences, the things they are proud of. I would suggest rarely do you see their failures and their disappointments. The things that might show them or their family in a bad light. I don't think Paul would be sharing on the internet the things that we so often see. I believe he would want to share in a way that would bring glory to God and exalt Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, Paul writes, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So anything that we have, where do we receive it for? So why do we boast as if it comes from us? Where do we receive it? Some years ago, a question was asked in a conference, what makes Christianity different? Some of the participants argued that Christianity is unique in teaching that God became man. But someone objected, saying that other religions teach similar doctrines. What about resurrection? No, it was argued. Others first believed that the dead rise again. And this discussion grew heated. And then enter the, the real book, C.S. Lewis. He came in late, he sat down and he asked, what's, what's the rumpus all about? What's all this arguing that's going on? And when he learned that it was a debate about the uniqueness of Christianity, he immediately commented, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And grace is Paul's dominant theme throughout his letters. He not only speaks of grace in his letters, but he starts and ends always with an exhortation to grace. And in chapter 12 here, referring to the thorn in the flesh, he says he pleaded with God to remove it, but God said to him, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is at the very heart and foundation of Christianity. And it is, as C.S. Lewis would say, it's what makes Christianity unique. In Ephesians, we're told that it's by grace we're saved. And to Timothy, Paul writes that we are strengthened by grace. Titus says we are justified by grace. James says that God gives grace to the humble. And Hebrews tells us that we can draw near to the throne of grace. There are many, many more scriptures about grace. I've just picked out some. Because grace runs right the way through our Christian experience. 1 Peter 5 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our lives as believers this morning are characterized by grace. Characterized by grace. And this morning I want to encourage us and remind us 
of the sufficiency of God's grace in every part of our Christian lives. Someone once said that grace is the power of God made available to meet all our needs. This morning, if you're struggling with issues of life and perhaps disappointments, all sorts of things that are going on in your life that you're struggling with, Paul says, God's power is made available to you because his grace is sufficient. Paul understood, so I think some of us in this room are sort of mass people, is that right? They're doing some mass. They like mass. I like mass. And Paul understood the equation that his weakness plus God's power equals God's grace and God's presence. Say that again. Equation that his weakness plus God's power equals God's grace and God's presence. As I said earlier, the world teaches us to escape from weakness, but Paul says here we can experience God's power in weakness. And the Greek word that for, for weakness here speaks of an ailment or frailty or feebleness. So this morning, in looking deeper into the weaknesses that Paul boasts of, raises, I think, for us three questions. Three, at least three questions, probably many more. I'm going to attempt to answer three. What is the weakness that Paul is talking about when he writes that God says, my power is made perfect in weakness? What is the source of such weaknesses? And what is the purpose of these weaknesses? And we seek the answers all in the text here. And I trust that in answering these questions, we will derive strength to live and endure and even thrive in our weaknesses. So first of all, what is the weakness that Paul is talking about when he writes that God says, my power is made perfect in weakness? Well, verse 10, verse 10 reveals to us what those weaknesses are that he is content with to endure. We read in, in verse 10, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And he goes on to say, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Notice here what Paul is, he has in mind. He doesn't have in mind sin. He's not talking about the consequences of our behaviour. He's not talking about weaknesses that, that leads to sin. He's not talking about bad choices that we make. He's not saying the power of Christ is perfected in my sin or my bad choices. Weakness referred to here are not imperfect behaviours. These are circumstances, situations and experiences that would make us look weak. That even if we had the strength, we would, we would probably strive to overcome. But in reality, we don't usually have the strength to deal with these things. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, 13, Paul says, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. So even if we think we could we have the strength to, to come back on the insults or the persecutions or the things that happen to us, that's not how Paul says we should behave. When persecuted, we endure. When reviled, when we're insulted, we bless. And this is how we should respond to insults and persecutions. So the answer to our first question is that the weaknesses he's referring to are not sins or behaviours, 
but circumstances and wounds that are hard to bear. And that for the sake of Christ, we can't remove them because they're either, either out of our control or in some cases, in some cases even when we have a degree of strength or degree of control, love dictates that we do not return evil for evil. Insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities may come through our stand for the gospel, our stand for living out our lives according to scripture. If we do that, the, the, the gospel is, is, is offensive to the world. And if we live according to his word, we're going to have insults, hardships, persecution and calamities. I've often wondered in my own life, saying, why have I not received perhaps more insults, more persecution? Perhaps it's because I'm not displaying and living the gospel out in a way that becomes an offence. The danger is that we try to avoid these weaknesses by living so close to the world, wanting to be popular, that we're not tested in these areas for the sake of the gospel. So they are the weaknesses. So what is the source of these weaknesses? question we might have for these kind of weaknesses, are they from Satan or are they from God? Or are they from both? In Paul's case, he speaks of a thorn in the flesh and he calls it a messenger of Satan. Now, Satan's work is to create misery, to tell us lies, to bring destruction, to finally bring death. And Paul says that this thorn was given to him to arrest his effectiveness and to harass him in the spread of the gospel. But as we read on, we realise our answer is not simply Satan. Satan is not the only one who is at work here. God is also at work in Paul's life. Three times Paul pleaded with God about this thorn, that he would take it from him. Now we don't know what that thorn was. Probably if you've been around Christendom for many years, you've probably heard all sorts of explanations that nobody knows. We do not know. But we do know the effect it was having on him. It was to harass him, to weaken his effectiveness. But when Paul went to God those three times, God says, no, because my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God is saying to Paul, I have a purpose in what is happening in your life. This is not ultimately Satan's work to destroy, but it is God's sanctifying work in his life. Yes, Satan was bringing it to destroy him. Satan was bringing it to reduce his effectiveness in the gospel. But God was using it to bring lessons, sanctification, helping him to grow in his walk with God. It's exactly in the same way that God permitted Satan to afflict Job and turn his afflictions for his good purposes. So God was using this weakness to teach Paul about the sufficiency of God's grace. So to summarise the answer to this question, the source of our weakness may sometimes be Satan who is always out to destroy and affect our faith and weaken us in our faith. But it is always true that our weaknesses are designed by God for our good. And that's why the truth, the truth of God's sovereignty should be so precious to us as believers. So precious to us. Particularly in the times of hardship. 
We may not know the answers to what's going on, but we do know we're in the hands of a sovereign God who has control of all things. Ultimately, God is in control, even of Satan. So we come to our final question. What are the purposes of these weaknesses? Is there a goal or an aim in our weaknesses? I think we've already touched on some of those things. But why insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles and calamities? Do they have a purpose? Maybe this morning you may have a question like, why can't I find a job? Why am I struggling in this job? Why hasn't this health issue that I've had for so many years been dealt with? Why did my parents die so young? Why can't I have children? Why can't I find a spouse? Why can't I afford a house? Why is nothing working out in my life? These are some of the questions that we may have this morning. But there are answers that we can see in this chapter. Firstly, weaknesses causes us to turn to God in prayer. When we hit trials and experiences such as Paul was experienced, we see that he turned to God in prayer. That was his first point of call. He turned to God in prayer and he asked God to remove the thorn. And he didn't just ask once. He went back. He went back. And he got an answer. The answer from God is not always, yes, I'll deal with the issue that you're raising with me. God, you know, God always answers when people say, I don't answer to prayer. He always answers. Because he might deal with it the way we want it. He may say, no. But he always answers. God always answers our prayer. And he answered, he answered Paul's prayer by saying to him, my grace is sufficient. See, our first initial response to affliction or weakness should be prayer, should be to go to God. Sadly, I find in my life, some, very often, it can be the last thing or somewhere down the track. I'm going to try and work it out first. You know, God, I think it's got really interested in this particular thing that I'm struggling with. But God wants us to turn to him always as initial response to afflictions or weaknesses to him in prayer. You see, this thorn in the in the flesh was so painful it could have crushed his spirit because it caused him to doubt God's faithfulness, to quench his continued work of doing the gospel. Has that ever happened to you when you're going through things? Oh, God love me. Why am I still suffering with this? Why am I still going through this painful experience? Why, why, why? Well, God has a purpose. And one of the purposes, he wants us to draw near to him. Paul was, wanted the thorn to be removed, but God wanted it to, there for, for a more important purpose. And Paul has this gospel paradigm that assures him that when he is weak, he is strong. When we hit personal difficulty, when we have these things in life, and if you haven't had it yet, cheer up, because it'll happen. You're only going to live long enough, and it will, will happen. Um, be surprised if you haven't. Anyway, it might be the children outside. Most of us in this room will. But when we hit personal difficulty, God wants to use it to remind us of our dependency upon him, our need of him 
And so we turn to him in prayer. How often have you found in your life that when things are really going well, yeah, you do your daily devotions and you do the things that you, you, know, you, you, you do daily. But when you really hit a crisis, you get on your knees. God wants to use those times. The most important thing for God is our relationship with him. Matt talked the other week about our communion with God. He wants us to commune with him. And so God uses these times so that we would turn to him in prayer. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I wonder this morning, would we say, he say, yeah, it was really good that I was afflicted. Could we join with the psalmist? It's in affliction that we often find our greatest spiritual growth. Secondly, weaknesses are designed to humble us. Satan's purpose is to produce pride in our lives. That's what he's about. His tactics are to make us proud, either by what we've done or what we've experienced. Or even take us into despair of things we haven't done or haven't experienced. Paul, speaking of his experience in paradise or the third heaven, made him vulnerable to pride and boasting. So God took steps to keep him humble. Paul says, this thorn was given me to keep me from becoming conceited. He writes, as I said earlier in this same chapter, of his experience some 14 years earlier, being called up into the third heaven, which in case you're not sure what third heaven is, it's beyond the birds, it's beyond the stars, and it's the place of God. That's third heaven, that's what he's referring to. He says, I know a man, and he refrains from saying it is him, so that no one may think more highly of him than they ought, more highly of him than what they hear or see in him. You know, I'd like to think that that would be my experience. I would love to, if I had that experience of Paul, I'd love to be able to say, I know a man. I'd probably be saying, I know a man. I'd be pointing to myself. You know, often, what's our desire? We want people to think well of us, don't we? We want people to feel good about us. How often would I say things that make me look better than I really am? And it's important that we guard our hearts against spiritual arrogance because of what we have experienced. Our lives are defined by Christ. Not by what we know, not what we experience, and certainly not by what we do. Now, I'm not on social media, so, but I understand on various things you can put your status. I would suggest to all of us, in Christ. You want to put something on your... In Christ. That's our identity. We're defined by being in Christ. See, Paul, see, Paul defines himself not as an apostle. He says, I'm a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. He doesn't define himself in his role and his function, in his calling. And there is no place, therefore, for boasting in our theological knowledge or spiritual experiences. God's purpose in weakness is our, our dependence upon him and to grow in humility. And finally, finally, the third purpose is to 
glorify Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. John Piper says God's design is to make us a showcase for Jesus' power. You see your life like that? A showcase for Jesus' power. The world would say I'll do anything and everything, as we've said, to get rid of our weaknesses, but God gives us strength and grace to endure, and it even enables us to rejoice, as Paul does, in weakness. The ultimate purpose of God in our weakness is to glorify the same kind of power, Paul refers to, that took Christ to the cross and enabled him to be victorious. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, the cross and Christ crucified was foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews. But to those who are called, it is the power and the wisdom of God. The deepest need that we have in times of weakness and adversity is not a quick relief, but an understanding that in those times God will use it for the glory, the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. This is how Paul responded. He writes, therefore, therefore, in the light of this understanding, this gospel paradigm that I've come to, to understand, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul realised that what, whatever situation he found himself, God's grace is sufficient. I read this poem, which I think captures the gospel paradigm that Paul came to understand. It would reflect Paul's heart. And the poem is entitled What I Asked For and What I Received. I asked the Lord to make me strong that I might achieve. But he made me weak that I might learn to humbly receive. I asked the Lord that, for health that I might do greater things. But he gave me pain that I might do better things. I asked the Lord for wealth that I might be happy, but he gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked the Lord for greatness that I might have the praise of men, but he gave me weakness that I might feel the need of him. I asked the Lord for all things that I might enjoy life, but Jesus gave me life that all things I might enjoy. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. God took me down that he might lift me up. Despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. Who, who, question for us this morning, who, I ask, could be more blessed than me? Let's pray.